The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. Church family, I invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity with my brothers and sisters to gather around your feet and to hear your voice. I pray that you'd speak specifically to the hearts of your people to uplift them, refresh them, guide them. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What in your mind makes a great family? I want you to be thinking about that just a little bit in our time together. What makes a great family? When it comes to a great family, uh, do you have a picture? Do you have someone that you think of, oh, they're an incredible family? There's a family that came to mind for one great feature. Um, they are the Holderness family, and uh, if you haven't heard of them, let me explain. Um, they're known for making satirical videos on YouTube. Um, if you haven't seen their Maysember, I highly recommend it about the busyness of May that we just got through. And the Holiness family, they might tell us that to make a great family, you should laugh. I don't know how many of you uh, thought of that, that laughter is important. A good sense of humor is important to get through the highs and lows of life. Now, as I was doing some more research, I came across a study done by Oregon State that had six principles that I thought made a great and a strong family. Six that I wanted you to consider. Maybe they made your list as well. From Oregon State, they said that strong families express appreciation and affection. So basically, they care for one another. Strong families are committed to one another. They're not just going to leave or abandon. Strong families spend enjoyable time together. I don't know how many of you are looking forward to a summer vacation, hitting the road, getting in a car. 
Strong families manage stress and crisis and may sember effectively. They get through May and they're still intact. Strong families have a sense of spiritual well-being. That's important, as we'll talk about. And strong families have effective communication patterns. They know how to relate well to one another. Now, again, I don't know what came to mind for you, but the reason this is so important is because we know what happens in society and in our lives when we don't get this right, when we don't crack this nut. In fact, just a a little bit about the breakdown of the family. From the Institute of Family Studies, they said that when the family breaks down, it just basically fuels poverty, fuels those dependent on welfare. In a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate Father's Day. So again, a happy early Father's Day if you're a father. But have you ever done a study of those um, children who are raised in fatherless homes and the statistics that are sobering, what happens because of it? Uh, Just a few statistics. That 90% of runaways, 71% of high school dropouts, 85% of children with behavioral disorders, 63% of those who commit suicide grew up in fatherless homes. Wow. So needless to say, it is important to get this right. To have a, a great family, a strong family. And that's why I love gathering in this place. And by the way, I wanted to welcome you, even if you're new to this place, new to Christianity, because in this place there is forgiveness for every misstep. If you're coming in today and it brings up all these memories of all the things you got wrong, I just want to know, let you know that the blood of Jesus, it covers that sin. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit is here. And through the Holy Spirit, there is power and there is hope for a new day. That we are the new creation in Christ Jesus. And what the Spirit allows is that if you had years of family dysfunction passed down from age to age, I have seen through the power of the Holy Spirit those chains broken. And family dysfunction that no longer was passed down. That is possible because of our God, the Almighty God who is with you and in you. But if you were to ask me a definitive moment for someone who said, we're going to be a great family, my mind would go to Joshua in the Old Testament. I want to explain a little bit of the story background. So they had just come from rags to riches. They were slaves in Egypt And now they were inheriting the promised land. God had uh, totally uh, driven out every other nation by his power. And they were about to settle in and establish their family home. And there were options. They could establish their family based on how the Egyptians lived. They, They knew what that was like. They could establish the family based on how the people in the land before them lived. They knew what that was like. Or they could do it different. Joshua advised for them to be different. And Joshua in chapter 24, after they've been established, said these words, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. You may never have a perfect family, but if your commitment is just to this line, I think you're going to have a great family. Serve the Lord with all faithfulness, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. Can you say this yellow portion with me? Are you ready? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is such a great statement for any family. In fact, I want to take a quick poll. How many of you have this uh, by the threshold of your home or in your home somewhere? 
That's what I thought. That's a, that's a good choice, friends. Because this is a definitive statement for any Christian, for any follower who says, we want a great family. We want a strong family. And it leads to the first fill-in. That a family that serves the Lord has true strength, doesn't it? Now, I need to clarify, a family that serves the Lord is not a perfect family. You know what I'm saying? They need Jesus. <laughs> they need Jesus to forgive them and guide them and help me not hold a grudge. Like, this is not talking about perfect families. No one's got one. Let me explain another thing. You can be the head of a household who has this statement and who has lived this, and you are not always in control of the faith life of everyone in that family. That's not up to you. We all rise and fall individually to our God. But what I do know is that when you commit to serving the Lord, oh man, he will lead you. He will guide you. He will teach you compassion and principles that will support your family. It is good to make that in our hearts and in our minds. We're going to serve the Lord. Well, now we're going to transition a little bit from family in general, blood family relatives, to church family. And we've been in this series called The Gospel Treasures. And, and by the way, if you're just joining us, feel free to catch up online. It's basically this premise that there are benefits of being a believer. And in fact, if you are here last week, we know one of the great benefits is our identity. Pastor Jeff told us beautifully once again that we are children of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. It's your firmest identity. And we've been having fun exploring our destiny, the possibility that God can create, our purpose, so many great things. And today we're talking about the benefit of church community or church family. And I don't know what you have found, but sometimes the church family is so powerful, it's so sticky, it's so good, that some people even prefer it over their blood family. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the power in this place, because Jesus is at our head, and we have been taught to empathize and encourage and, and lead with Jesus, sometimes there is more strength here than in your immediate family. Do you know what I'm saying? It's incredible how that works. That's when Jesus is at the head. And today we're going to see through Scripture three C's. Three C's that I think will help a good church family we're going to talk about. But, by the way, if you want to take this home and also apply it to your immediate family, your blood relatives, it's going to work there too. So let's get into Scripture. If you brought your Bibles, feel free to open to Galatians. That's where we are. And uh, let me set just a bit of the framework as we get into Scripture. So Paul is writing to the church family in Galatia, and they are um, having problems there's a lot of disunity, disharmony, all because of uh, some family members who are giving off this impression. The church family in Galatia were saying this kind of thing. If you're a part of this ch church family, then you're going to... Do you ever do that with your own family? To be in our family, you better be a Sox fan. And if you step foot in Wrigley Field, you are no longer part of this family. You are out. If you are part of this family, you will play football. We all play football. That's just what we do. I don't care that you don't like football. We play football. If you're part of this church family, we work hard. All these things that we might relate to. Well, in Galatia, this is what they were saying. They are saying, if you're part of this church family and you really want to be part of it, you need to be circumcised. <laughs> now, that's a pretty big deal. 
And Paul spends much of the letter just saying, no, 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 guys, you can be part of the church family simply through faith in Jesus Christ. That was the old covenant. There is a new covenant. That was the shadow of things to come. The reality is Christ Jesus. That's okay. (laughs) And so he not only set out that you don't have to be circumcised, but then he ends his letter with principles that could truly unite them, truly make them united as a church family. And that's what we're going to get into. So let's turn there, Galatians chapter 6. Why don't we stand today in honor of God's word? It is God's word that we're hearing. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is a powerful word of God. Can you shout louder to to your neighbor? You're in the family. You're in the family. Welcome. Even if it's your first time. Please be seated. Please be seated. One of the important principles whenever you're exercising, whether you're running or you're lifting, is to push yourself to the point of failure. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you would go to the gym or if you go for a run and all you're doing is kind of going through the motions, you will maintain and you will plateau, but you will never really grow. You have to push yourself to failure. But doing so at the gym uh, for certain movements can be problematic if you're alone. For example, if you ever had the situation where you're on bar bench and you're trying to get one last rep, but you're all alone, bad things can happen. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Some have been there. I know I've been there, right? And he did it properly. Uh, By the way, if you're ever there, you don't put clips on the end so that you can, like, put some of it off that side and some of it off that side. And all the while, please don't, you know, break your ribs, right? And while this is inevitable, especially going that last rep, what would be better uh, by far is this situation, right? And look at having a spotter to help. Not only can he help you push to that last rep, but, I mean, this guy's an encourager. You can tell. Like, he's yelling, you got this, right? And if you ever lifted with someone or run with someone, you know there's something about uh, being by others that can push you further than when we were by yourself. I bring this imagery up because this is the imagery of Scripture when it comes to relating to each other in the church family. That as we are pushing through life, you are not meant to push alone. I want you to consider verse 2 and what it says. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so what God is saying to us today, something that we already know, everyone who walks in these doors is coming with a burden. Do you know that? Everyone who comes into this place has hidden things on their hearts and in their lives that is weighing them down. 
And when we get together, there is this incredible opportunity we have to spot it and to help lift it. Now, there are three ways I know of uh, this happening. Whoop, there it goes. Three ways that I think are, are superiorly helpful. The first one is just to empathize. That's one way of lifting a burden. Someone comes in and they say, oh, man, you wouldn't believe what happened at work. And you can empathize by saying, oh, I get it, been there. Whew. Another thing you can do is pray. As you hear about that burden, you don't have to tell them that you're praying for them, but you can, after the conversation, pause and pray, or during the week, pray for them. As they talk to you, it can inform your prayer life that week. And the third thing, we can give them encouragement from God's word. That there's probably a, a promise from the Bible that answers that exact situation. Yes, but, but God loves us and he's with us and God sees even what's going on at work, right? It's an incredible opportunity being part of a church family. And so our, our first fill-in is this, um, that church family shows compassion for one another. And not fake, not like, you know, I'll pray for you, but really I won't. No, real compassion. And it's not just for the burdens in, in our Romans Bible study, we also came across this passage. We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. So basically, I'm going to meet you wherever you're at. You come in and you got a new job. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. You got a new car. Awesome. Can I test drive it? <laughs> you got a new house. Awesome. Let's, let's go have a barbecue, right? That's just what good church family does. And we also carry each other's burdens. Now think of all the times that this happens in this place. Now, number one, do you know it's encouraging uh, that there is just compassion, there is this support just by seeing each other? You know, on a pastor's conference, we were talking about uh, when young people show up to church. And, and there's this one pastor who said, you know, they don't have to say anything to me. They don't have to volunteer or participate. But, but when they show up and I see them, I am just uplifted. It's just great. And maybe you feel the same way, like, we don't even have to have a conversation, but, but me seeing you and I seeing you, it's just, it's just awesome. There are good things. It just happens. Well, another thing that happens, um, as we interact, you know, we can send texts and we can send emails to encourage one another. Uh, another thing that happened just this past week was a hospital visit. This last week, I was invited to the hospital. A baby was born a month early. Now, thankfully, she's doing well. Um, but I was able to go to the NICU and pray Jeremiah 29 over that baby in the NICU. God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope and a future. That's a great thing. But perhaps my favorite environment, and we talk about it a lot here at Amazing Love, is our group life. Men's groups, women's groups, starting point, Bible class, home groups, so many opportunities. Because what happens in that place is that we get to talk about life. We get to talk about marriage. We get to talk about work, about finances, about kids. And we get to share all three. We get to empathize and pray and encourage one another and point them to Jesus Christ, our Savior. How awesome is church family? But there's another part that makes church family so great. And now I need to talk about everyone's favorite, which is discipline. In your family, how fun is it to discipline your children? Like, if you want to have a really good time, do you start it off with discipline? <laughs> start the family vacation, you know, like, uh. 
No. But what we're going to find out is that discipline, not only in our real families, but in our church families, is so important. In fact, if you want to learn about discipline, I invite you to read Proverbs. And there's always this proverb that sticks out to me from Proverbs 13. It says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children. Whew. That's strong language. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, I'm not here to tell you where to land when it comes to physical discipline, even though that was a literal rod. But I am saying that in general, to use discipline and forms of discipline, this is love. No bones about it. And some of you know that when it comes to certain illustrations. For example, if there's a child who just runs into traffic without looking both ways, I would permit to you that we all kind of collectively get, we should have a discipline lesson. Not because of a malicious heart, not because they're so sinful, but, but man, they're in a bad track if they don't look both ways. So they better have a timeout or something so they don't do it again. That, that same thing translates to so many different areas of life. It, it translates to teenagers who use the internet or use their cell phones. And if they use their internet or cell phones for bad things, well then it is love to take that cell phone away. You can't go there. You can't do that. That's not what it's for. And so while discipline is easy to avoid, it is necessary, isn't it? And so in church family, look at what Paul reminded us that a church family does. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. This is an important word. Can you say that out loud? That's an important principle when you do this work. Really important. And watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Now, what is the goal behind this? Well, first let's start out with telling you what's not the goal. What is not the goal is I pick out someone who's worse than me so I can feel better. Let me tell you about your sins so I can feel good about me. No, in fact, Jesus speaks directly against this kind of attitude. Jesus in other portions of Scripture says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. So if any of your heart behind discipline or correction is so that you can prove yourself and somehow call yourself better, this is not the goal of that. What is the goal? There's this beautiful story in the New Testament of a woman who needed the gospel. And Jesus freely gave it. A woman who was probably filled with a ton of shame and a ton of guilt. Even socially, she was kind of an outcast is a woman who was caught in adultery. I don't know how many of you remember this story. Jesus first levels the playing field and tells them what the motivation should not be. He first says, you know, you guys without any sin, feel free, th throw the first stone. Feel free to be the, the first to judge. And some may know they all went away after Jesus leveled the playing field. But what was the beauty of this moment? Is the words that Jesus spoke when he said, Neither do I condemn you. She came before the Savior, and the Savior did not condemn. The Savior showed grace and love. And perhaps more that day than any day before, she could knew that she was forgiven. And she was invited to know God and be part of the family like never before. What an incredible thing. 
If you look at that passage once again, verse 1, I want you to look at it. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore. That's the key word. See, see, when sin is involved, there's this break in the relationship between a sinner and a holy God. And God's goal, God's heart behind any of this corrective activity is that a sinner would know, no, 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 you're forgiven. You still have a right to be part of the family. Come on back. And yes, go leave your life of sin, but you're forgiven. The heart between Matthew 18 and showing a brother their sin is not, again, lording any sin over them, but getting them to the point where they know they need Jesus' forgiveness. But now I have to pause and I have to ask, how good are you, how good are you at receiving correction? I have to consider this because we're coming up to our staff uh, retreat, and soon there will be staff evaluations where we'll be corrected. I have to prepare myself, tell myself, when being corrected, just don't say anything, Dusty. Don't excuse. Or let me ask, when you were a child, how good were you at receiving correction and discipline? What was your spirit? Can I relate one of the hardest spiritual struggles? I think one of the hardest spiritual struggles of our age is that we never want to be corrected, but boy, do we delight in correcting others. Let me say it again. I think one of the biggest spiritual problems we have right now is we never, ever, ever want to be corrected. How dare you? But boy, do we delight in correcting and proving others wrong. And of this, God says, repent. Church family, would you change your mind about it? Because the forgiveness offered you is the forgiveness that someone else needs. And the beauty of correction is seeing once again our need for a Savior and then seeing how Jesus meets that need. And I want to remind you that the blood of Christ, it atones for each and every sin. For however you need to be corrected or forever you're offering correction for, the blood of Christ sets them on the same stage. That sinners can be right with a holy God simply through the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. We have a Savior who is perfect in our place, who died our death and who rose victoriously so we could be set free. That's amazing. And so what we know in a church family, we do offer correction. But there's a last C that I wanted to talk about, and and to bring this up, I need to talk about how the church family has changed and morphed over the decades. So I came across a poll done by Gallup, who started tracking church membership in 1937. And in 1937, uh, 73% of Americans had a church home. 73%. Now look at how it tracked all the way to about 2000, 1995 to 2000. We we're still about 70%. Now look at what happens from 2000 to 2010. We're about 10 points down. And then 2010 to 2020. In 2020, Gallup reported that 47% of Americans belong to a church family, which means the majority of Americans do not. Which means one out of every two persons that you meet will not have a church home, will not have allegiance to any church family. 
Now, as you consider this, um, do you sense that there is a problem here? When we talked about the difference between what we have to do and what we get to do, my heart aches over this number. It aches because there are so many benefits of being part of a church family. But it does ache because God has directives to us. I consider a directive that was so important during COVID-19. Maybe you remember this passage, and it was probably compelling you during COVID-19, when God said, let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And so God's people gather. If you are in Christ, solo Christianity was never God's goal. That's like being a quarterback without a football team. It doesn't work. God created you for community. God created you to walk with other brothers and sisters in Christ and be part of a family. We see that clearly in our verse today. It said, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Basically, Paul is saying, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Consider what happens when people give up on their immediate family, their blood relatives. Bad things happen, right? When they give up their commitment, when they abandon, when they're absentee, bad things happen. The same is true of God's church. When a church family member gives up, abandons, says, oh, it's not important, bad things happen. And so what I hear Paul saying is, don't get weary. Now, here I am a believer in new seasons. Sometimes a new season is so important. I know of people who have changed different seasons of serving. And so at one point they're in kids' ministry, at another point they're in hospitality. Um, but what's important is that that spirit of service still continues on. There might be new seasons, but continue to serve. Or perhaps it's leadership. I was leading one venture, but now I can lead another venture. If God has given you the ability to lead, the importance is that you keep on keeping on, that you continue to lead. If he's given you the spirit of generosity, I was generous to this effort. God says, okay, I can also be generous to this effort. The goal is to not give up because there is a harvest. And so what does church family do? We display commitment to one another. That's so important. God says you're part of a body. Your hands and feet, your eyes and ears. The body needs all of those parts. And have you ever seen the impact of one person fully committed? I want to pick up on a little bit Debbie Stamp. It's a couple weeks ago, uh, Debbie did a ton of work for our garage sale. And just thank you, Debbie. Um, and she had a team of people. And it was a ton of hours, but they raised $500 for the Frankfurt Food Pantry. It's awesome. Absolutely. And on June 17th, we're taking that money to Meijer, and they will double match it, turn it into $1,500 for uh, the Frankfurt Food Pantry. It's just going to be an awesome thing. Absolutely. But that is the type of impact that happens through commitment. When you step up and serve, when you say, I'm going to make it happen, that is the type of world-changing, community-benefiting activity that goes on when we dig in with whatever gifts God has given. And that's so important. 
For every Christian, there should be this quiet confidence that when you join a church, you should have this quiet confidence. They don't even know what they're getting because I'm going to bring it and I'm going to help them. I'm going to make everything better. And not even because of them, but because I love Jesus. But I want to address the elephant in the room because I know this isn't always so easy. And what I want to address is church hurt. See, what I recognize as a stumbling block from truly committing or, or truly taking the next step or starting the next season is church hurt. And that is people who have come in the name of Jesus, by the word of Jesus, and said or done the wrong thing. Now, I just want to normalize that and say that is real. And the reason that happens is because the church family is filled with sinners. And it's led by a sinner. But I do want you to consider... If you showed the same lack of commitment in your relatives, in, in your immediate family, what happens in an immediate family if every time you were hurt, you're just like, well, I'm done? We wouldn't have family. And so in the church family, too, it is important to set expectations that those inside the family cannot always get it right, though they want to most of the time. They will say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing, and sometimes in the name of Jesus. And ours, to keep that commitment, is to forgive. It's to see him in the same way that Jesus sees him, as a blood-bought child of God. And I have a true solution if church hurt is something that relates to you at all. And the true solution is remembering that church family isn't built on imperfect sinners. It is built on Jesus Christ. And so what I permit to you is that we build a church where Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Because what happens when Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone is that when I come in with a burden and someone else doesn't catch me or they don't say the right thing or they don't know or they didn't have time, Jesus still does. And he knew exactly what was going on. And he spoke directly to you through his word. And he carried you through it. What happens when church family doesn't correct me because they're too scared? Or they correct me in the wrong way and they get it wrong and they're holier than thou. And, ah! Jesus does it perfectly. From a standpoint of grace and forgiveness, he will continue to refine you in the ways that are needed just as you simply hear his word. When my church family lets me down, they didn't call me. They didn't pray for me. They didn't email me. Ah! Jesus is still there. He's a God who never leaves us, never forsakes us. He is the true constant and something you can build a church family and a regular family upon. And so as we consider all this, Jesus being the center of any church covers the gaps created by sinful people. I want to remind you that we have come here chiefly to see him. And so this is a principle that not only relates to our church family, but also your own. When Jesus is working in that family, man, he will teach a family to forgive and to love unconditionally, and he will guide that family. May he so bless you to use those principles, not only here, but at home. As you take a next step today, um, my next step for you is to commit to a church family. And commit to being part of a good family member. To, to put these things into practice. To give to each other compassion, 
correction and commitment. And when you do that, when we do that, I think we create communities the world is longing for. We create church families that are stronger than some immediate families because Jesus is the true strength and glue that keeps it together. May God so bless us. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, at this time, we have the opportunity to um, uh, just confess something that unites us in this church family, which is a common faith. Uh, Today, we'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed. Feel free to join in as you're comfortable. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.